Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Can you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this house? Wow, it's so exciting. Please open your Bibles to the book of James. Today we begin our study of the second chapter of the book of James. We'll start reading in verse 1 in just a moment, James chapter 1. What we will find in this first chapter are two major themes. The first one is stop showing favoritism. And the second one is stop trusting dead faith. The first one is disobedience. The second one is deadly. Favoritism shows that I don't understand the heart of God. And trusting in dead faith shows that I don't have a personal relationship with God. But this morning, we'll just look at this first one. Stop showing favoritism. James chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray again. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Father, for uh, what we've already felt in this house. Nothing is uh, more precious to us than your presence, and we have felt that. You have allowed unworthy beings to enter into your presence and worship you and praise you, and we thank you for that. We bless your name, and now, Father, we ask that you would take this scripture and teach us, uh, change us, uh, lead us and guide us, so that by the time this message is over, uh, we'll have a completely different outlook, 
as far as this matter of favoritism is concerned. Bless the message and the messenger. Uh, bless every hearer in the house. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In this text, favoritism or showing partiality is forbidden. God says you can't play favorites. And thus the title of the message, Stop Showing Favoritism. I couldn't help but laugh when I came across this on the internet. It says, this year to avoid showing favoritism to one person or another, I'm getting everybody the same thing. Nothing. Now, that's not the answer for us. The answer for us as Christians is just the opposite. We need to give everybody something. And we have something to give every human being on earth. We have the love of God. And we need to give them the love of God. We need to give them the same love and respect and sense of worth that God has given to us. And we need to share that without showing partiality or favoritism. Now here's the problem. Here's where it gets real tricky. And that is, we are all creatures of favoritism and partiality. It's a big part of who we are. For instance, if I ask you, what's your favorite color? You would tell me. And I hope you wouldn't say orange and blue. Hallelujah, we have a sanctified sister in the house. And if I ask you what your favorite football team is, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know exactly your favorite team. If I were to ask you where's your favorite restaurant, you would be able to tell me immediately. Who's your favorite speaker? Who's your favorite Bible study teacher? Who's your favorite singer? What's your favorite song, book, or movie? What's your favorite... Uh, activity, your favorite sense of uh, uh, thing that you do for recreation, you'd be able to tell me. What if I even ask you, who is your favorite friend or your best friend? Or maybe the people you would rather hang around with than anybody else. Every one of us would be able to answer those questions without any problem at all. Why? Because we all have favorites. We we, we all show partiality in some of these things. And, and I know you do, and I do too. I mean, I, for example, I can tell you absolutely, no question about it, River of Life is my favorite church. I love the church of Jesus Christ no matter where it meets on planet Earth. I love it. I'm proud of it. I pray for it. But this is my favorite one. This is my favorite place to worship. My circle of closest friends are in this church. I'd rather come here than any place else in the world. I feel and experience things here that I never feel or experience anywhere else. I love this church. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with me saying that. And by the way, there would be nothing wrong with somebody else saying everything I just said about another church down the road. You see, that may just be the result of the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and where you connect and 
where God wants to minister to you and where you need to minister to other people. I want you to understand that's not the kind of favoritism and partiality that the Bible's talking about, that James is talking about here. He's talking about the church and individual members of the church dishonoring those for whom Jesus came, lived, and died. Those He wants to save. That's what James is talking about. He's talking about alienating people, groups of people who need Jesus. He's talking about showing some people more attention, better attention, because of their status, because of their influence, because of their power, because of their wealth, because of who they are. He's talking about the church administering the love of God on the basis of bias, favoritism, and partiality. And James is saying you can't do that. And he gets, he gets very specific in the text. For instance, he says, if a rich man comes into the fellowship and he's nicely dressed, Thomas, come up here and join me. This is Thomas Allen. I want you to look at this guy. He's the best looking guy in Wakulla County. He dresses, he dresses better than anybody. I got a secret on that. Well, Thomas and I are getting ready to have a personal conversation here. Thomas yeah. just whispered. He said, but I, I'm not rich. And I, I, I want to tell you, you are rich, brother. You're rich in what counts. But I want you to look at this tie. Woo! Man, at that tie. And look here. I believe that's a diamond. And, and look, look, at, look at this. Look at this bracelet. Let me see this hand. What's a, woo, baby, a gold watch right here. Now, this is what we're looking for at River of Life. These are the kind of members we're, we're looking for. Uh, uh, excuse me, sir. Can't you see I'm busy? Don't you think it's kind of rude to be interrupting while I'm talking to one of our important members here? I, when I, next time I go to buy a suit, I'm taking Thomas with me. Now, I don't think he can dress me up to make me look as good as he looks. But, <laughs> but, but I, but, but I, Sir, did, who let you in the house? What are you doing here? Did you even take a bath before you came? You didn't? Why is your face so dirty? I was did, over in River Kids. I, <laughs> he said he was over in River Kids. Okay. <laughs> I can smell you from all the way over here. Now, here's, here's what I want to ask you. These two guys walk into the church. And you don't know either one of them. You don't know that this is Thomas or that's Chuck. If we're not careful, our tendency is, man, we're glad to have you. We want you to be a member of this church. And it'd be all right if you tithe here too. <laughs> you put your tithe, you put your money. Put your money. We're, we're glad to have you. Welcome. We'll make you an honorary member whether you want to be or not, okay? <laughs> Thomas, thank you. Thank you. God bless you, man. Amen. Would you have welcomed him if you didn't know him? Would you have hugged his neck? Would you have asked him to sit with you? Would you have offered to take him out to lunch after the service? 
One church didn't. On occasion, I get asked to speak to different churches, and I was asked to speak to a youth group on a Friday night after a football game. So I began to pray, what do I share, Lord? And the Lord brought me back to a story I'd heard years earlier about a man who dressed up like a homeless man, and he wanted to see how well the church would accept him. So with the inspiration of the Lord, I called the, the pastor that I was going to go serve with, and I said, hey, is it okay if I dress up like a homeless man tonight? And he said, sure. So I got there a little early, went inside and fellowship with him for a few minutes, and I said, do me a favor, do not spoil the surprise. I don't want anybody to know who I am. So I went outside, and about 25 feet from the driveway was a pine tree, and I just kind of leaned back up against the pine tree and uh, began to wait. Well, sure enough, the football game was over, and a lady came up to the driveway, and immediately I said, man, I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat? And she very rudely and abruptly told me no and went into the house. Now, I know she was lying because I had already been in the house, and I'd already been eating Coke and chips and pizza with the youth guys, so I knew she was lying. She came back out, and once again, I asked her, ma'am, I am hungry. Do you have anything to eat? And she ignored me. Well, soon the kids started coming, and one by one as they came, I simply asked them, I am hungry. Do you have anything to eat? And they either would not look at me, or they real frantically went inside. At first, I was, had two emotions running through me, and I was torn, because number one, I thought, great, my illustration's working perfect. This is what I wanted to see come to pass. But at the same time, I was torn and just broken because in all reality, the church of Jesus Christ should have saw this man hungry and went and fed him. Not too long after that, a police officer pulls up and it's a female and she pulls into the driveway. She doesn't get out of the car. She just stares at me. And I begin to think, okay, they've called the cops on me. Um... Maybe she's too scared to get out and approach me, or she's waiting for backup. And sure enough, cop pulls across the street right in front of me. It was a male, and he got out of the car, and he come across. He introduced himself, and he asked me, what are you doing here? Well, then I start smiling, and I stand up, and I introduce myself. I said, I'm a visiting pastor. I'm going to speak to this group tonight, and he starts laughing. He says, a woman called me and told me that there was a drunk, intoxicated man throwing up in the yard, and we needed to remove him. <laughs> well, I began to laugh. I said, sir, let me be honest with you. I've never had a drink in my life. I've never done drugs in my life. And he just laughed, and we laughed for a few seconds, and I said, come on. We need to go. You need to go help me introduce myself to this lady. Well, I went over to the lady because I knew who called the cops on me. And when I introduced myself, she kind of dropped her head and kind of smiled. Because, number one, I knew she was embarrassed that she lied about me to the police officer. Number two, she was embarrassed because she didn't help me. So I went inside to the, to the youth group house, the youth house, and I went in and allowed their youth pastor to introduce me. And then I went in and got cleaned up. And as I began to speak to them, the passage that I used was out of Matthew 25 that says, I was hungry and you fed me. And I went ahead and went on and told those group, I said, you know what? Not only could I have been hungry... But I'm also a diabetic, and I could have been having an insulin reaction, and none of you helped me. Here's what was interesting. On the very wall behind me where I was speaking, had this poster that said, Fearless to Reach Everyone. And I said, Kids, you're not too brave tonight. Adults, you're not too brave tonight because none of you were fearless to reach out to me. 
You didn't know if I was saved. You didn't know if I was lost. You didn't know if I needed help. You didn't know if I was lonely. You just let me go. I said, everyone means that kid that sits at the table all alone at school. Everyone is that kid that just doesn't dress like everybody else. Everyone is that kid that just doesn't look like you or acts like you. And I said, if you're going to try to reach everyone, then you need to be a people of your word and reach everyone. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13 to be aware who you entertain, for some have entertained angels unaware. We have to be careful who we entertain. For one day we will stand before the Lord in judgment and he's going to say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink, even though I didn't look like them. And what was really funny about this scenario when I got dressed like this, my kids said, Daddy, what are you doing? And they were young back then. I said, I am going over to another church to speak. <laughs> and the bewilderment on their face was amazing because, like, Dad, you don't dress like this to go speak at any church. We have people in our life that aren't like us. They don't talk like us. They don't smell like us. They don't look like us. They don't act like us but they need the Lord just like we do. And we have to be fearless to reach everyone. I just have one question. Did that church ever invite you back? I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. L listen, the passage that we are looking at just makes it clear that God is saying, in my house, in my church, with my people, with my family, you cannot show partiality. You can't make that distinction. You can't segregate yourself from the people that God loves. It, it, it's, it's just clear. L listen, throughout my ministry, I've had this happen on so many times, I, I wouldn't even be able to guess. We'll be right in the middle of the service and someone will slip up to me and they'll say, Pastor, we have a very special guest with us today. And sometimes I know who it is, sometimes I don't know who it is. And... and and I've had various people, many different people to do this and say, I just wanted to let you know they are in the house. And I, 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 I want you to be sure and speak to them and make them welcome. And maybe even recognize them from the pulpit. How many of you believe that there was ever a time when that happened to me that they were talking about a homeless person? No. That's always about somebody with influence, somebody with power, somebody with money, somebody who uh, everybody in the community knows. And, and here's the sad part of my story. I'm guilty. I've done it. I've followed along with that. I've recognized and paid special attention to people who had come into the service, who were so-called special people, 
You understand there are no special people with God. Or may, may I say it this way, everybody is special with Him. But we don't treat everybody that way. And there have been times when I've treated somebody with special attention and totally ignored somebody else. That had slipped in to the service. Oh, friends, that's not who we are. That's not what we're about. We don't get to choose the dynamics of our family. Our Heavenly Father makes that choice. And His choice is everybody's included. We don't exclude anybody. We send out the call, the welcome to everybody. Come and drink from the wells of salvation. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and whosoever will, let Him take the water of life freely. You see, friends, that's what we do. That's what we have to do. And, and, and what James does in this passage of Scripture is he gives us four reasons why we have to stop showing favoritism. It won't take me but just a minute to share these with you. The first one is God has chosen the poor and the needy and the outcast of this world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom of God. For all those who love him. Every person. God has chosen, God has chosen the poor. Listen, my beloved brethren, verse 5. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those? Who did he promise it to? Those who love him. See, that's what he's saying. And if you'll think about the ministry of Jesus, just go back over the ministry of Jesus for a moment. The people he would hang out with. And ministered to a diseased man full of leprosy. A wild demon possessed man running around naked. A hated tax collector. A woman caught in adultery. Caught in the very act of adultery. And a woman who had been married five times. And the man she was now living with was not her husband. Those are the kind of people that he ministered to. Interacted with and tried to help. By the way, those were the very people that the religious crowd of his day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would have nothing to do with them. And what Jesus is saying, what the Father is saying is, this is how my family works. We minister to people, whoever they are and wherever they are. The second thing he tells us is, is that showing favoritism violates the royal law. In verse 8, we read about this. We read what the royal law is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you know anything about the New Testament, you know who the Bible is talking about when it says your neighbor. It's talking about everybody. It's talking about anybody who has... A need. So we violate this royal law that we are to be obeying. And the third point is it's, it, it's a serious sin that turns us into transgressors. Do you understand that if we show partiality when it comes to the hearts and souls of people and when it comes to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and ministering His love, if we show partiality, it turns us into transgressors. Verse 9 says, that if, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. And then James does something that just blows me away in this text. In verse 11, he makes this comparison that almost, almost makes you want to gasp for breath. In verse 11, he says, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James was saying, 
The one who said don't commit adultery said don't commit murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, then you're a transgressor of the law. Now listen up. This is what James is saying. Make no mistake about it. There's no misinterpreting this. He's saying in this text, if you don't commit adultery, and you don't murder, but you do show partiality and favoritism, it puts you in the same category as an adulterer and a murderer, it means that you are trampling on the holy standards of God. It means that you are a transgressor. That's how important this thing of favoritism is. And not showing favoritism. And then the last thing we see in this text, the last reason he gives us for not doing this, is found right at the end, verse 12. He says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. He says we shouldn't show partiality. We shouldn't show favoritism to people because we are the ones who will one day be judged by the law of liberty. Listen, the law of liberty, study it for yourself, the law of liberty is the law of Christ. It's the law that's being applied to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the law of liberty. And, and what James says is, is you have to treat other people like you're the one who's going to be judged by the law of liberty. Now this thing of the law of liberty is something that almost all Christians, we get it. We understand it. It makes sense to us. Even though we may not know how to explain it. So let me help you just for a second. If I were to ask you, don't raise your hand, but if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you have really blown it at one time or another in your life. You sinned, you fell on your face, you fell short of the glory of God, you messed up, you made a mess of things. If I ask you, how many of you have ever done that? I, I would think, wouldn't every hand in the house go up? Some of you decided to raise your hands even though I told you not to, yeah. Count me in, pastor, I, I'm there, I'm there. You've blown it, you've messed up. Now my next question would be this, how many people in the house this morning I'm talking to every one of you. Answer the question in your heart. How many people in the house this morning feel like you deserve forgiveness? Feel like you deserve the love of God? Feel like you deserve to spend eternity in heaven with Him? You honestly feel like you deserve it. Not a hand in the house would go up. Right? But then what if I ask you one more question? And what if I said, how many of you are planning on, by faith, Spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. Hands all over the house would go up, right? How do you reconcile those three things? I messed up. I blew it. I failed completely. I don't deserve the love of God. I certainly don't deserve to go to heaven. But yet I'm walking around with this confidence that when I die, I'm going to open my eyes in glory and I'm going to be with Him. How do you reconcile those three? Because we know something the rest of the world does not know. We know that one day we will be judged by the law of liberty. We'll stand before our blessed Savior and He will judge us with a law that liberates and sets free those who have put their faith and trust in Him. That's the law of liberty. And what James is saying is, is you need to so speak 
That's what it says verbatim. So speak and so do. That means you talk and act toward other people like somebody who really gets it. You understand that you don't deserve what's in store for you and you treat them like somebody who will one day be judged by the law of liberty. Oh, forgiven. (laughs) Forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. He's done something in my life. I don't deserve it, but I'm going to heaven. And by the way, you can go with me and I welcome you and I will not shun you and I will not push you aside. Listen, this is really a serious issue. Uh, Many of you follow the ministry of uh, Francis Chan. And by the way, you can find some of his sermons and ministry on Right Now Media, which is available to every person in our church. And if you're not taking advantage of that, please see Lori. It is outstanding. It is amazing. Francis Chan is on there. By the way, Francis Chan was concerned about his church. Okay, I'm preaching and I'm preaching the truth, but are my people really walking out the truth? Are they really living the truth? So what he did in this area of favoritism he decided to put a hidden camera up in the lobby of his church. So he put a camera up. Nobody knew it was there. Just he knew about it and his tech guy knew about it. But other than that, nobody else knew about it. And then he picked one Sunday and he went out into the lobby and there's just a a white table like we have here and he leaned up against that table. And then he got a young man. Now these are not my words. These are his words. He got a young man. He called him a punk. He said he looked like a punk. said he had ring, you know, in his lips and, uh, you know, just, just different things that said punk. And uh, he said they stood side by side. And I went and watched the feed. I, I, I watched the, uh, the whole thing. And this young punk was right there, just right over there, just right there by him, reaching distance. And in the lobby that day, people came in one by one, one by one. They hugged the pastor. You're the greatest. You're the best. We love you. Pastor, God bless you. Some of them gave him gifts. Some of them um, uh, said very encouraging things, laughed, high-fived him. And one by one, they walked by the punk. Never said a word to him. He said he broke his heart. This, This is what he said. He said, my people are guilty of favoritism. They're guilty of showing partiality. Isn't it amazing that this thing of favoritism and partiality will cause us to lavish our love upon those who need it the least and leave out those who need it the most? God forbid. That's the reason the Bible calls it a great sin. That's the reason the Bible says you can't do it. You have to stop doing this. Wow. I I want to close by reading the, the first verse again. Verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, here, here's this. The word hold is in here. Boy, this is important. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I, I got to tell you, friends, 
when it comes to the Lord of glory, we need to hold on to it, don't we? We need to focus on it. We need to see it. We need to envision it. We need the scales removed from our eyes. We need to hold on to the Lord of glory. And then, and I think there's a, an emphasis on the word glory there. And then he says, don't hold on to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, if you're going to keep holding on to partiality. They're inconsistent. They're irreconcilable. They don't go together. They're a total contradiction. By the way, friends, if we don't see that it's a contradiction, trust me, the world does. If they see us holding on to Jesus and alienating and isolating them and pushing them aside, thinking that we're better, holier, that you're not as good as we are, oh, it reeks. It reeks. But, 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 but what we also find in verse 1 is the solution and that is, the way you let go of partiality is by holding on to the Lord of, say it, glory. The Lord of glory. So, I want to play a little what if game with you this morning. What if you had come into the service this morning and you just wanted to sit all by yourself? You just wanted to kind of be by yourself this morning, so you found a fairly empty place in the worship center, and you just sat down right by yourself. Well, in a few minutes, you were not by yourself. You look over, and there's this old man. This old man. You can tell he's old. And he comes and he sits down right by you. There he is. You didn't want anybody to sit by you, but there he is. And then you, you glance over and you look at him and you think, man, he looks familiar. But I just can't place him. I don't know who he is. And then the old man turns to you and he speaks to you. And he says, hello, how are you today? And the moment you hear his voice, you know exactly who it is. Dr. Billy Graham has come into the building and sat down right by you. Wow. Perhaps the greatest world evangelist who ever lived. He's seated right by you. Your palms start getting sweet. I had a similar situation. One time I was in Houston, Texas at the Coliseum. I was seated there and a man came and sat down by me and, and I looked at him, but it, it, it didn't dawn on me who it was just a moment. And then he spoke to me and when he spoke to me, I knew exactly who it was. It was Dr. Homer Lindsay Jr., the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, 10,000 in attendance every Sunday morning. And he leaned over me and he said, how are you, son? I said, nervous right now. <laughs> I just got, man. So there you are sitting, Billy Graham seated by you. Your, your palms are getting sweaty. And, and you're nervous. And then all of a sudden, somebody sits down on the other side of you. And you look over, and there is no doubt about who this is. You know exactly who it is. Immediately, you recognize this is President Barack Obama. And he sits. <laughs> uh, you know what? 
You know, you know what? I think that's an excellent reaction. If I were seated there and Dr. Billy Graham was on my right and President Barack Obama was on my left, I'd be saying, oh my God, what is going on here? What in the world is going on here? This is weird. Something's up. I don't know what it is. Now, my question to you is this. Would you be distracted? Would, would, would your heart rate go up a little bit? Would you be nervous? Would, 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 you, would you hear very much of what I have to say up here on the pulpit? You see, I can tell you, if I were seated there, and Dr. Billy Graham was on my right, and the President of the United States was on my left, I probably wouldn't hear a word you have to say. I wouldn't hear anything. I, I, would, be, I would be so amazed. I, I would want to speak with, with Dr. Billy Graham. I'd want to pick his brain. I'd want him to tell me about some of the things that has happened in his life. That's what, that's what I would want. And... And, and then I would turn to the president. I'd want to shake his hand. I'd want to take a picture with him. And by the way, don't, don't act all holy and spiritual. If the president of the United States walked in here, we would everyone, uh, we would everyone pay him the respect the office is due. And if you don't, you're not a good Christian. Can I get an amen in the house? I don't care who you are. I'd want to shake his hand. I'd want to take a picture with him. I'd want to tell him how to run the nation. I, no, I'd, I'd be too scared to do that. But I'd want to. But I would be absolutely, positively beside myself. Two of the most famous men have ever lived. Dr. Billy Graham. President Obama. Here I am. Now, you know, you know what I love about what if stories? You can do anything you want to. You can make it up as you go. What if, right in the middle of you trying to take a breath and figure out what's going on here and all the anxiety, what if right in the middle of that, Billy Graham's on your right, Barack Obama's on your left, and right in the middle of that, there is a supernatural manifestation of the glory of Christ Jesus Himself, and He appears on stage, and everything in the building is washed out by His glory, and the house is filled with His presence, and you are looking at the glory of God. Now here's what I want to ask you. At that moment, when you see the glory of God, would Billy Graham or Barack Obama be a distraction? Would they be on your mind? Would you be thinking about them? Would there be anything about their presence that would have your attention? No, the King of glory is in the house. He's manifesting Himself. He's here. He's here. And that's exactly what James is saying. James is saying, my brother, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. You see, the more of Him you see, the bigger He gets, the more glorious He becomes in your eyes, the more enamored you are with Him, the easier it will be for us to stop showing favoritism to certain people 
and start loving and treating everybody equally. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.